All right, what a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you, my friends, like I say, near and far, wherever you are, some of you even joining us for the very first time. If that's you, I'm Pastor Terry Lee, pastor at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco, and I'm so thankful and happy you are with us. You know, we're kicking off a new series. We're calling it Seasons of Stress, and uh, it's designed to help us. It really is. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Let me just pray and welcome God's goodness and presence among us. And even now, Lord Jesus, we, we, uh, yeah, we lift up our eyes to you and we pray for your blessing. You know us, you know our struggles, you know our needs, you know the weight that we're bearing, you know the pain that we're carrying. Uh, we want to trust you more. We want to walk in your peace. So I just ask for your blessing. Meet us where we need it, where we need it most. In your name we pray. Amen. Like I said, we're kicking off this new series, Seasons of Stress. And the goal, I just want to say it at the beginning, is that all of us would find more of God's peace, that we would be more at peace that we would be more healthy of mind, of body, and of soul. You know, what exactly is stress? You know, we're calling this series again, the Seasons of Stress. What exactly is stress? Most of us, I think, have a general idea, but I was reading an article, doing some research on it, and uh, I came across some of the research that was done by the famous Cleveland Clinic and they define stress in this way. They said stress is a normal human reaction that happens to everyone. In fact, the human body is designed to experience stress and react to it. When you experience changes or challenges, we call those stressors, your body produces physical and mental responses. That's stress. Stress responses help your body adjust to new situations. Stress can be positive, keeping us alert, motivated, and ready to avoid danger, <laughs> that's one of the upsides, but stress can become a problem when stressors continue, think about this, without relief or periods of relaxation. When a person has long-term, we will call this unrelenting chronic stress, continued activation of the stress response causes wear and tear on the body, and it produces a physical, emotional, and behavioral symptoms and those symptoms develop. And then they, they described in the article and the research some of the, some of the aspects of what those symptoms uh, emerge as. And they said there's a physical component. So physically, when we are carrying chronic stress, we're not getting true rest in our soul and spirit and body and our minds. It can show up in our body, right? And so when we're carrying stress like that, it can, it can manifest itself with things like headaches and exhaustion and digestive issues and muscle, muscle tension and a weakened immune system, which makes us more vulnerable. Then he talked about how chronic stress affects us emotionally. It shows up as anxiety or irritability. So there are things like panic attacks and depression and, and sadness that start to really get connected and deeply embedded into us. They also mentioned behavioral symptoms. And this is fascinating. I'm talking about addictive, harmful behaviors. They mentioned things like the obvious ones, like gambling and drugs and drinking alcohol too much, too often, binging on food, developing even an eating disorder, participating compulsively in, in sex or shopping or internet browsing, all those things were listed. And of course, I don't need to say this, but it's the truth. 
the dopamine industry is always hunting for new victims. So highly stressed out people are more easily victimized by the industry that wants to send us ads and hooks into our feeds so that we will medicate ourselves with quick dopamine fixes only to need another just to keep the high going. And of course that creates profit. Remember, and I, I'm not, I don't want to sound in any way like a conspiratorialist, but tech companies, yeah, and I need to say this, news outlets exist to self-perpetuate and indoctrinate. Generally speaking, they don't care about us at all. Not one ounce of, they, it's, it's not like they're our friends. They are, they are experts at, it, we've, we've had enough discussion around this, I'm stating the obvious, but they are experts at addiction and brain manipulation. And I just need to say this, loved ones, remember, they are not our friends. They're not. So do we see how relevant this is? Stress is real, it's damaging, and unchecked, it can, it can beat the life out of us and beat the love out of us, our love for life, our love for others, our, our love for ourselves, <laughs> my healthy love, and our love for God. All those things just get drained out when we are under chronic stress and experiencing it. And, and like I said, there are, there are, there are things that are tempting us to try to deal with that stress in unhealthy ways that gives us only a temporary fix and actually only increases our stress levels. So there's a way that seems right, as Jesus taught us, to a man and a woman, but the end thereof is a way of death. Think about how relevant that is in light of the present society and times that we are living in. So one thing we're going to need to do, and I just need to, I want to put this up here, is that we need to pay attention to the warning signals and the lights that are on our dashboard. We need to pay attention to the warning signals and the lights on the dashboard. We're talking about the dashboard of our life. Think about a car when you see the lights flashing on, on the dash, it's telling you something's up. And every now and then you'll get told something like, stop, you know, check engine. The idea being that if you push this thing too hard, too far in this vulnerable place, you will blow the engine. And that is true for us as human beings as well. I think you know that. I, I know you do. There are times where we'll get a light warning, check oil or time for a tune-up type of thing, a uh, low, you know, air pressure in your tire. That's different than when the red ones come on. And if you put it, the yellow ones are good because it's reminding us that we need to, to, give some attention to this or it's going to become a bigger issue. But when it's hitting red, that's telling us that we've got the potential for major damage. And I guess get the impression that sometimes our body is trying to tell us, our emotions are trying to tell us, uh, our vulnerability to temptation is trying to tell us, the way we're treating other people is trying to tell us, the things that we're reacting to is trying to tell us that something's wrong and that we need to deal with some of the weight that we're carrying, that we can't continue in this way, or we're gonna do something destructive, destructive to ourselves, destructive others, uh, to others, destructive to the people we love and don't wanna hurt at all, or we'll, we can really damage also our relationship with the Lord, which I don't wanna minimize that, because that's actually the most important thing of all. It really is. But the second thing 
is in addition to paying attention to the warning signals, we need to learn how to recover when we are thrashed or feeling worn out or pushed to the edge. So this is also about learning how to recover when we recognize our vulnerabilities. So it's important that we learn to see and to discern where we're at. And then it's important to have a, an ability to recover when we are at this place of great vulnerability. So what we're going to make the case here is that the best way, listen to me now, the best way to both avoid burnout and recover when we are experiencing chronic stress and under extreme and almost, I can say it, relentless duress is to have healthy mechanisms in place, healthy mechanisms in place that will keep us from spiraling out into a really bad place. Mechanisms that will allow us to actually draw strength from the Lord, right? And allow our bodies and minds uh, to experience consistent, natural, and I can say this, and spiritual highs. And <laughs> we'll call those things uh, modest dopamine kicks that are joy inducing and not destructive, right? Some of those ways of solving things that just flush our system with, with, uh, feeling good, you know, feelings of, t of temporal uh, satisfaction. They're, they're like big hits to our system uh, will have a crushing downside. So what we're talking about is trying to build healthy joy inducing practice that allows for a good flow, not something that jolts our system. I'm not suggesting that there isn't a time to get the, the jolt of the goodness of God, but that is never good. Think about this. The one thing about the Lord's presence and when the Lord really affects us and when we just get touched by his love or, or by the power of his spirit and we get a breakthrough moment in his word or in worship, the beauty of the Lord's, uh, movement, the beauty of what the Lord sends us, the beauty of the Lord's spiritual high that he gives us that affects our emotions and our body. And yeah, even the way we treat people is that it doesn't have a downside. I mean, think about this, the, the things that come from God, the, the joy of the Lord, that is our strength. doesn't have a downside. It doesn't have a negative kick. It doesn't have a, a big trough on the other side. Whereas so much of what our culture is pushing at us gets us to go high and then we drop down super low. We don't even feel good about ourselves. We don't feel good about anything. So as we make our way into these coming months and specifically into the holidays, the holy days, as I like to call them, and uh, the new year with all of its opportunities and positive momentum potentially sitting right there for us, is that we, we need to, we need to learn how to be equipped, right? The, to be able to enter into that properly. So what I want us to be able to do is learn how to draw strength from the Lord in such a way that we can enter into these days that are ahead of us, these special days 
and receive them as the blessing they were meant to be. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That we can receive them with more of a settled soul. Settledness of soul. Equanimity. As the uh, previous generations used to refer to it as. Uh, doesn't just happen. It's actually a product of intention and a result of the application of wisdom. That's what the scriptures teach us. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, you keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Look at this, all whose thoughts are fixed, stayed settled on you. That's from the NLT. What we're talking about is the cultivation of the unagitated mind. The cultivation of the unagitated mind. And settledness of soul, the equanimity that I'm talking about inside that peace. It doesn't just happen on the fly. It can't. It's not, it's, listen, it's not a switch we can just flip. It's, it's something that comes differently. It's something that has to be cultivated and grown. It's not a, a single coat that we splash on. No, it's actually a series of coats that we apply. You see the difference? It's not a, a one thing that we just do and, and now it's all, I'm all better. No, no. It's the application of, of one good thing after another that starts to build a positive momentum and almost a synergistic effect. You know, momentum is a fascinating thing. It can build, it, it can build in a negative way and all of a sudden it starts compounding and the next thing you know, we're in a trough. We're, we're in a desperate place. But if we, can, if we can find a way to stabilize in Christ and then turn the momentum in the other direction, we will find that we can gain back ground quickly as part of what God's grace offers us. And so, so what I'm gonna do in the next few weeks is have us look at a classic example so for the next few weeks that I'm sharing, starting off this series, I want us to look at a classic example in the scriptures of a man who was under enormous stress and a man who broke. And then I want us to walk with that and then watch how God nurtured him to a point of health, recovery, and strength. I'm talking about a man named Elijah. He was a prophet of God in the Older Testament. And as the scriptures remind us in the New Testament, he was a man a lot like us, like you and me. Let's read from 1 Kings 19, and we'll read the first 10 verses of this chapter. Ahab, who was king at the time, told Jezebel, his wife, that's a name that becomes infamous, and justifiably so. Uh, not that the name is forever ruined, it's just that this particular person uh, brings with, with her a connotation. And when Ahab and, had told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, so this king and queen who were not godly, when they heard about how Elijah had killed all the prophets with the sword, there was this mighty victory and uh, the people rose up and slew the prophets of, of Baal and, and Elijah led that charge. And uh, they, they said, we want to follow God. And, and it says, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods 
She wasn't a worshiper of the one true God. She said, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Instead of pulling back, uh, Queen Jezebel and her husband Ahab uh, pushed even harder. She was the driver. And it says that Elijah was afraid. It says then he was afraid when he heard the intensity of her response and how, if, if anything, she was more determined to oppose him and kill him. It says he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey further into the wilderness and came and he sat down under a broom tree. It's the kind of tree that provides shade. And he asked that he might die saying, you know, it is enough now, Lord, Oh, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, we're told, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. Now, the, the angel of the Lord may have looked like a, a person or may have had a kind of luminy, uh, how would I call it, uh, a luminescence. It's hard to say. But what we do know is that this, this person, this angel of the Lord, uh, was helping Elijah in this moment. It says, and he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that day, that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, <laughs> the word of the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. <laughs> and what follows is two things. One, God proceeds to gently but firmly teach his shaken prophet some lessons. And two, he gives him some specific directions for recovery, which we will examine a bit even more in, in two weeks particularly. But as we reflect on what we just read, it's helpful for us to understand what Elijah, who has suffered a comprehensive breakdown, if I can call it that, is doing. He's doing what we tend to do as well when we are under extreme and prolonged pressure. And see if you can relate to this. One, do you see it? What does he do? Um, I'll try to dig in a little bit more to some of the background issues in, in, again when I share a little bit later next week. But I want us to just think a little bit here about what he's doing as he's carrying this weight in his broken place. He does what a lot of us tend to do. The first thing he does is he depreciates his worth. Do you see it? What does he say? I'm no better than my fathers, my wayward ancestors. Basically what he's saying is, I'm no good. I'm no good. It, it's, and, and then he pushes it even further. He says, it's not even worth being alive. I don't even know why you're keeping me alive. I mean, he's just awash in negative self-talk. Secondly, 
in addition to depreciating his worth, his value, he diminishes his uh, work and contribution. So the first thing he does is diminish his worth. The second thing he does is diminish his work. And he completely ignores what he's been able to do for the Lord earlier. His failure feels so devastating to him, so uh, overwhelming that he loses a sense of proportionality as if nothing he has done has made a real difference. That everything he did, the victory he just experienced is all in vain, is meaningless. So he loses sight of all the good. He's just focused on what has gone wrong. And (laughs) I I know we can relate because I've I've done this as well, especially when we're under chronic stress or pressure or we feel overwhelmed by failure. We just start to think I'm no good and that our work is irrelevant. And we self, we self talk our way into an even darker hole. And loved ones, when we do that, the evil one rejoices. He really does. Speaking of negative self-talk, notice what else Elijah does. Not only does he depreciate his worth and value, not only does he diminish his his work and contribution, but he exaggerates his problems. Do you see this? It's true. He has a problem. There's no question about it. I mean, the situation with Jezebel and Ahab is real. And she was super strong and was intent on killing him. But when he says, I'm the only one left, that just wasn't true. He, he wasn't the only one left committed to God. He wasn't the only one left that was devoted to the cause of the Lord. It just wasn't true. And later on, God's going to correct him specifically around this issue. But, uh, but when we're under chronic stress, when we're feeling just this depleting, unrelenting pressure, when we find ourselves breaking down, there is a tendency to not only focus on the negative, but listen to exaggerate the negative. So I not only focus on it, I magnify it. Instead of magnifying the Lord, I magnify my problem. I magnify the negative. And, I, and when we do this, we make it worse. We just make it worse. Instead, instead of putting our energy into listening for God and, and, and asking him to give us wisdom and a clear mind and to become a creative problem solver, we instead feel sorry for ourselves. And again, I've, I've done all this. So it's not like I'm saying you, it, this is what you do. I'm, I'm saying we can do this. We feel sorry for ourselves. We sit with our defeat and then pivot off what is real into a false or distorted reality. One definition of fear, an acronym, is this, fear, (laughs) F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real, false evidence appearing real. Or another one that might fit this situation even better, fear, forgetting everything about reality, forgetting everything about reality. And that is not to suggest that all fear is unfounded, like I said, His life was in peril. 
he was being threatened and the threats were real. So we're not making it up. He, Elijah wasn't making up the threats, but it's also true that a lot of his fear was based in unreality. Can we relate to that? I think we can more than we realize. His focus was way off, way off. He was not trusting. He was not fixed. He let go of his faith like a, a string balloon in his hands. Just let it go and watched it float away. I think, I guess many of us can relate to this. At least I can. When we're in trouble, breaking down, it is really hard to settle and trust. We're just not well. And so when we are in those places, it's really important for us to heal and rest and allow the Lord to gently correct us. I want to just say that one more time. When we find ourselves in the broken place, it's really important to heal and rest and allow the Lord to gently correct us. Sometimes it will be direct as we sit with our pain and our disappointment before the Lord and the Lord will begin to correct us and, and gently work for our healing and benefit. Sometimes it's going to be vicarious as we receive strength from the Lord through the help of other people. I've had both of those things happen to me in my places of brokenness or real struggle in, as, a, as a follower of Jesus over the years. And there's been sometimes as a leader where I felt really defeated, really broken. Um, and just sitting in that place, there are times where the Lord will come as we're being honest before him. We're just in dialogue with the Lord. And sometimes our di dialogue isn't even accurate. Our assessments are not on point. We're doing exactly what Elijah did. We're ex exaggerating our problems. We're focused on the negative. We're, we're engaging in negative self-talk. And yet even there, the Lord's mercy is such that he will come and he'll begin because we're, at least we're with him. We're turning towards him and we're just there and God can work with us. Sometimes the way the Lord works with us is through other people. Sometimes it's both. The words of other people can be tremendously beneficial when they're Christ-centered words or words that flow out of godly wisdom. Some advice, even advice from people who don't have a real reference point to God can be helpful, but nothing can actually cure the soul like the truth of God's word. Uh, it's, it's not my word, the scripture says, like a rock, you know, like, like a hammer that, hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. My words, they are spirit and they are life. My word is a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. Jesus talked about the power of his words as building blocks for the healthy life. But a word fitly framed, I'm talking about timely advice, can be such a blessing. There are times where the Lord has spoken through other people right into my heart. In Proverbs 25, we're told this, that timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket to one who listens. Valid criticism is like a gold earring or other gold jewelry. Trustworthy messengers refresh like snow in summer. Think about that. Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. 
to one who listens. Valid criticism, that's good, is a gold earring. It's like a gold earring or other gold jewelry. It's precious metals, right? These are valuable commodities. So think good words, timely advice, valid criticism, trustworthy messengers, refresh like snow in summer. What a picture, what a beautiful way of describing the impact of good, wonderful support from other people. Obviously, the holiday season presents both a challenge and an opportunity. The challenge, as we noted with Elijah, will always be to keep ourselves from too much stress and an overly hurried pace. Reminded of something that John Wesley said. It was something I remember reading when I was just a young leader and I was impressed by it. He said, though I am always in haste, I am never in a hurry. John Wesley, the founder of the, the Methodist Church, uh, the outstanding Christian leader who was known for his diligence and productivity. When he made this statement, he was trying to make a very subtle distinction between haste and hurry, even though those two are often thought of as synonymous terms. What Wesley is saying is not that he's unenergetic or lackadaisical, in haste. He's in haste, he's, but he's not in a hurry. So he's not stressed out because he's running behind or trying to get there on time. He's got a lot on his plate, but not more than he can handle well with margin and good pacing. Because, and notice the wonderful balance. This is the other part of the quote. I never undertake more work than I can get through with perfect calmness. <laughs> that's really good. Though I am always in haste, always have things that I need to give attention to. I'm never in a hurry. I'm not pushing myself to a point of unhealth and allowing myself to get, in the language we would use today, in a place of chronic stress. Why? Because I try to measure what I can truly handle and hold to the things that are most important. And I don't try to do more than I can do with a calmness of spirit, with an equanimity of soul. The opportunity that the holiday season, when properly and tenderly embraced, can bring is a reinvigoration and deepening of our faith and our soul. And it can return us into a thankful spirit and a fresh appreciation for all that Christ's entry into the human experience can bring. So I really want us to be able to take advantage of the opportunity for soul nourishment, positive soul nourishment that this coming season can bring us. But for that to happen, we're going to have to be honest about what's on our plate. We're going to need to take real steps to cultivate our soul in a place of peace. And we're going to need to let the Lord we're going to need to let the Lord help us to slow down so that we can go deeper. Slow down so we can go deeper. I'll come back and talk a little bit more about that on the other side. I do want to, as we make our way in the holidays, though, and before we share the song, it, remind all of you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, specifically our church family here, yeah, about our time of giving. I know a lot of you know that, but Remember, you can give your tithes and offerings as so many of you have been doing faithfully, and I hope we make an even more uh, 
intentional commitment to that heading into the close of the year. But remember, you can send that in to us. You can, you can uh, go and give directly online through our website or through our app. You know. But like I say, let's first give him our heart. But with that in mind, Lord, I just ask that you would bless this song that we're about to share. And then uh, I'll come back around and close us with some final good words in your name. Amen. This is the hard part Stopping to ask for directions And sketching with these dirty colors Of just where I am You might have heard me Artfully dodging the buzzword
All right, I want to close us with actually the sharing of a prayer that was written by a great 20th century pastor named William Sangster. He was a terrific teacher and he, he shared this prayer and I want to share it with you and then encourage you to pray it with me. Slow me down, Lord. Give me amidst the confusion of my day, the calmness of the everlasting hills. Break the tension of my nerves and muscles with the soothing music of the singing streams that live in my memory. Help me to know the magical restorative power of sleep. Teach me the art of taking minute, minute or minute, they're heteronyms, words spelled identically but with different meanings. So a minute or a minute vacation, both can work, right? Help me to take minute vacations of slowing down to look at a flower, to chat with a friend, to pat a dog, to read a few lines from a good book. Slow me down, Lord, and inspire me to send down roots deep into the soil of life's enduring values that I may grow towards the stars of my greater destiny. Amen. I love that. Let's take time for small, modest, replenishing things. Lord, I know you care for us. I know you love us. And my prayer for all of you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, that the Lord would keep you, fill you with his joy and peace and protect you and heal you. All these good things as we make our journey into these coming weeks together in the close of this year, the Christmas time and Thanksgiving time, all the things that await us. Just pray for God's goodness to rest over you. And that instead of being stressed, we may be deepened as we slow down to focus on the things that are most important and heal. Yes, that's what we ask, Lord, in your name, Jesus' name. Amen.